Welcome to Lamenting the Leafs. I'm your host, Cam McCachron, and I'm joined, as always, by Nick Richard and Keith Whipple. And lads, our intention wasn't to take two months off leading into training camp, but uh, Sheldon Keith probably didn't intend to play three different forwards on defense a weekend of camp either, but here we are. And uh, snuck up on us. All, all three of us have uh, recently dealt with Hurricane Fiona to varying degrees. Figured that would be a good place to start. Nick, uh, we wanted to start with you because uh, you were you were right in the path of this dirty bastard. How's everything holding up in Il Madame? Yeah, it, uh, it looked like it was coming right for us uh, initially. There took a kind of a veer to the left a little bit just in time, and uh, you know, unfortunately for some of the surrounding areas here. Uh, Sydney, Antigonish, New Glasgow, Prince Edward Island, you know, Newfoundland, they all got hammered. Um, you know, it, it was definitely a big storm. There was a bit of damage around here, but uh, nothing compared to what some of those people had to deal with. So uh, definitely considering ourselves pretty fortunate. Yeah. Cape Breton, supposedly the, the, I guess you guys, it was low tide. And then it, when it, by the time it got to like PEI and Newfoundland, it was high tide. And that's why I guess you guys kind of got got away a little easier with it. Apparently, I don't know. I don't, I'm not exactly a meteorologist, but uh, either way, thankful that uh, you know things didn't get uh, real fucked up at home. Keith, it wasn't uh, wasn't quite as bad in New Brunswick, eh? No, and, and like where I live, I'm I'm a good hour and a half from like from the coast too, so it's it's not it wasn't bad here. I mean, we had a lot of rain and a lot of wind, but nothing, no damage really. Um, you know some tree branches down here and there but nothing compared to further off the coast got it's pretty pretty mild here yeah we lost power for almost 24 hours here in dartmouth and it was like it's pretty spotty like we were we were lucky to be back on as quick as, as we were it was a lot of power outages and obviously tree damage and stuff but yeah i think we got away a little uh, easier than we were probably expecting heading into that thing so yeah definitely you uh we'll, we'll take that where we can get it i guess um mm-hmm. so Training camp has been underway for about a week. Uh, a few preseason games are in the books uh, as we record. Actually, uh, one's about to fire up, so we're going to try to get Nick out of here. So he, I think you got the you got the recap tonight for the Leafs Nation, right? Yes, sir. That's correct. So uh, uh, pulling double duty here tonight, <laughs> right? So you've been dialed in on what's happening in camp. Uh, so let let's say you have a friend who's a Leafs fan, but has been a little too distracted by, you know, like gambling on football and, and <laughs> severe weather systems of late to pay much attention to uh, who's looking good, the storylines, etc. So h- how would you summarize the first week of camp to that person, assuming you knew anyone in such a situation? Would this hypothetical friend's name happen to start with a C and end with Ameren? Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I don't know anyone by that name. <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, I, I think the, the big story early on so far has been just the, the amount of injuries and bodies that are banged up. Uh, you know, John Tavares is out for a little bit of time here. Looks like he's going to miss the first couple of games of the season. Timothy Lilligren is uh, recovering from sports hernia surgery. He's going to miss a bit of time. Uh, Pierre Engvall is in question for the, for the opening of the season. And as you kind of alluded to there, the, the injuries on defense really started to pile up uh, in the last preseason game with uh, Carl Dahlstrom and Jordy Ben both going down. It, it sounds like Dahlstrom's going to be out a long time. So that, that's, uh, you know, a down the lineup kind of depth option, uh, injury recall sort of guy who's going to be unavailable for, you know, what sounds like most of the season. Jordy Ben's going to be a, a bit of a shorter term thing. Another guy who's kind of slotted into a depth role when everyone's healthy here. Um, but yeah, aside from the injuries, the the other big story is uh, the return of Rasmus Sandin. It kind of coincides with some of that injury news. Uh, a bit of a holdout into camp here or a, or a standoff between Sandin and the club. Uh, came to a resolution there just a couple of days ago. So I, I believe uh, we're recording this on Friday evening. I, I believe Sandin was set to take off from Sweden earlier this morning and he should be arriving in Toronto uh, you know, sometime tonight or early tomorrow and uh, he'll be joining the team right away and hopefully he's able to get up to speed quickly because uh, the Leafs need the help on the back end right now for sure. Yeah, two years, uh, $1.4 million. So he gets the same deal as, as Timothy Lilligren. Keith, what did you think of the... Of the contract because obviously it was it was quite a, a you know a longer process yeah. and a bit more of a, a combative process than it was for Lilligren and, and they end up with the same deal in the end. Well, I think it comes in 
la- like lower than what everybody was expecting, right? Because if you're, we all knew, you know, from the reports that they were offered the same contract at the same time. So, you know, if he didn't take it back then, why would he take it now kind of thing? But um, so, I mean, I had him penciled in coming in around two, you know, it would, would have, cause they at least just couldn't afford to do anything longer term with them. Right. So getting them at 1.4 is, is a pretty good win for the Leafs. Um, I don't know what to really think about this whole, like, you know, he kind of signed when he had the most leverage thing or, cause it seemed like all along it was more about his path to playing time and maybe the fact that Giordano comes in on the left side. And, um, you know, that, that seemed to be more the issue of the standoff, not so much the money. So maybe that does ring true that now he sees a path to, you know, top four minutes or or whatever, um, or at least top six minutes that, that, that could have been the the kind of driving reason behind it. Cause it does seem odd that when the team needs him the most, he takes the deal that was offered originally. So I I'd be finding a new agent. Who he doesn't particularly <laughs> seem to be good at his job. <laughs> yeah, that's. I was kind of going to chime in there when you mentioned the leverage thing, Keith, because I, I think it was the exact opposite. I think once those injuries occurred and Sandine's camp reached back out to the Leafs and they realized that the Leafs still weren't budging on their price point, uh, I believe that's when it, you know the, the ultimate realization came to Sandine and his representatives that they yep. had no leverage. And yeah. if the Leafs weren't going to budge now with all the injuries mounting on the blue line, they weren't going to budge at all. And in the end, you know, the, the only real difference between the Sandine and Lilligren deals are that uh, Lilligren is making 1.4 each year. So he's going to have a $1.4 million qualifying offer, whereas Sandine is making $1.2 million in the first year and $1.6 in the second year. So his qualifying offer when his deal is up will be $1.6 million as opposed to $1.4. But I think that's a, a pretty small uh, consolation for Kyle Dubas to give, given the, yeah. uh, the, the situation that he was in. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, I'm on an island a little bit with this take, but I, I kind of thought that Sandine had a decent case for for wanting a better deal than Lilligren. You know, he was drafted a year later, but they debuted the same year. Uh, Sandine played more in that rookie season. He had, you know, triple the games of Lilligren under his belt coming into last season. I, I think at that point in time, a year ago, like it would have been fairly uncontroversial to say that Sandine was considered the better prospect. So. I think that if like the position of the Sandine camp was that he's on a faster track and thus deserves a bit more, I I get that. But then they settle for the same deal anyway. And, and, you know, you have to wonder if like the extra three months and kind of the reputational or or at least like damage to the relationship were were worth it because I'm. I'm thinking probably not. Yeah, it seems like it was kind of an exercise in futility by Sandine and his representatives. Um, and I, I'd like to hear your case, maybe sometime off air, for for why you, you really think Sandine deserved more. Because for me, looking at the two players, especially what they were both able to do last year, you know, I think Lilligren obviously kind of exceeded everyone's expectations with the season he had, really firmly established himself as an NHLer. And I, I think, you know, the fact that Sandine has had trouble staying healthy, you know, on a few different occasions now, and you can chalk some of it up to bad luck or what have you, but it's still a factor. And I think it's still a question for the organization, just, you know, how well he's going to hold up against a, a full 82 game NHL schedule. So I, I can kind of get where they're coming from and kind of wanting those players to be in the in the same bin salary wise so to speak yeah i've said this too but like before but the emergence of timothy lilligren very much came when he was paired with mark giordano too and i don't know and i'd be if i was in sandy if i was sandy's agent that'd be something i would be bringing up is that rasmus was not afforded the ability to play with a right-handed version of of mark giordano for half the year either to have his stock kind of rise and then that's where i can kind of see what you're saying cam where Prior to the injury, prior to Giordano coming, I think it wouldn't have been, like you said, controversial take to think that Sandine was ahead of him. But that might have just come with like pedigree, which doesn't even make sense because he was taken after Lilligren. But I don't know. The hype train just seemed to be a little bit more on on Sandine's side. But you're right, Nick. Like production-wise, they're pretty similar. And 
I mean, the ages are very close too, so it makes sense that the Leafs would want to bucket, like, put them in that same bucket. Yeah, like the, the I think that the like obviously the statistical profile, the the draft profile, it's all very similar. I, I think it's it's more so just if you're looking at it from the perspective of Sandine's camp, like all those things I mentioned. Plus, you know, you can even look at it like um, as far as obviously Lilligren being there a year longer, and like the hole has always been on the right side. And Lilligren yeah. couldn't couldn't you know crack that while Sandine was able to force his way in even though the, the left side has been has been very strong he's made them you know play him so I, I feel like that you know and not like it's not like he's going to double his salary but I, I feel like the argument was there for a, a little bit more but like you said I think that he he must have realized that the the leverage was gone uh, interesting note that I stumbled on while while checking out. Uh, Lewis Gross's client list. I mentioned this to you guys yesterday. It's it's a little conspiratorial, but I, I'm going to run with it the here. Fire tinfoil hats uh, here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so maybe maybe you heard this Jeremy Swayman story this week where he went on uh, John Scott's podcast and, and gave this. Not. <laughs> gave this story uh, about how he was expecting to uh, go to the Leafs in the 2017 draft, and they, you know, were on the clock. He was half expecting to get the call, and then they took Ian Scott. He went next to the Bruins. Um, so obviously, you know that that sparked some reaction, and, and it was predictable. And I just thought it was interesting how Lewis Gross client uh, Jeremy Swayman put this story out there, seemingly like out of nowhere, like. <laughs> Five years later, uh, while Lewis Gross' client uh, Rasmus Sandin is in this protracted contract negotiation with the Leafs, um, we're so, not twelve minutes into uh, you know season three of Lamenting the we're Leafs cooking, here, baby. And the tinfoil hats are out. <laughs> Probably a coincidence. Just a coincidence. Mark Hunter ran that draft anyway, so shit on that guy um so so you also mentioned you know the injuries that's obviously a, a big thing uh john Tavares out a few weeks here uh jake muzzin already you know getting off to a, a tough start health wise um, yeah i didn't even mention muzzin i'm just so used to him being on the shelf i guess at this point <laughs> yeah yeah it was a weird explanation eh? did you hear him he's like it's not really an injury it's just the thing i deal with i'm like well that doesn't make me feel any better <laughs> like yeah, I don't know. He seems he's he's back skating. He's probably going to play in like in the next one of the next few games here. Yeah, he was a full participant in practice uh, today again Friday. Um I I still think, you know, the, we talked about this over the the course of the off season and you know even leading into the off season. Uh, I think that if Jake Muzzin's place as a regular contributor on this team is still you know very precarious uh, just because of all these lingering health issues and how they kind of seem to be continuing to to build up and you know just seemingly get worse as time goes on here so I think that's going to be something you know we're all going to be paying close attention to over the course of the season and it could just lead to this Rasmus Sandin contract being even more valuable down the road because I don't think anyone is going to say with any level of certainty that they expect Jake Muzzin to play 70 plus games this season. So I think there's a real opportunity there, you know, as the season goes on for, for Sandin to really grab hold of a top four spot and prove that he is worth more than what he signed for. And I think what Muzzin showed in the playoffs last year is probably the only reason that I have still like a place for him on, you know, my version of what I'd like the least to look like because he looked great against Tampa. Yeah. And, you and know, he's a very unique right, player. Yeah, he's a player lineup. that they don't have a lot of yeah. that mold, you know, kicking around the lineup. Right. So he, he came out guns blazing in the first few games of that series and he made a difference. And I saw there was some reports of Riley moving to the right side and him Muzzin and Riley being a, a, a pair that was being floated around. And I like that on paper yeah. because like you have the, the physicality with the speed and the skill, but Muzzin's not like completely, you know, he's able to at least think along with Riley and he's, he can jump into plays too. And he he's shown offensive flair. So I think he even could help with that part too, but he, he does bring the kind of physicality stay at home kind of, you know, yin to the yang of, of Riley. So I like that pair on paper. I have no idea how it's going to work out, but it was intriguing. Well, this is a pair that, you know, we, we, probably expected we were going to see and i think it was what a lot of people expected to see when muzzin was initially acquired by the leafs 
uh, you know, it's a few years back now, but the, the whole thing at the time was trying to find someone to play with Morgan Riley and whether it was going to be Muzzin or Riley that shifted over to the right, uh, that, you know, they, they took a, a real brief look at it and it, it didn't work out for them in, in that time. But I think, you know, with the way Morgan Riley has matured as a player, I know he's still not a defensive stalwart by any means, but I think he's really kind of solidified that side of his game, you know, at least to some extent. I think, as you said, Keith, on paper, that they seem like a really good match. I think what it's really going to come down to is Riley's level of comfort playing on his offside. And he kind of, he said after practice, there are some advantages to playing on the right side, especially in the offensive zone. You know, you get to skate off the wall to middle ice on your forehand. You've got the option for a one-timer from the point. Not that he's yeah. a, a big one-timer guy by any means either, but it, it does open up some things for him offensively. I just, I think I've said this on the podcast numerous times before as well. I think what really makes Morgan Riley who he is is the way that he activates into the rush on the weak side there, and I, that that'll be something that I'm watching for if he's still as comfortable doing that playing on his offside the thing Muzzin is dealing with is a lingering back issue from lugging around that gigantic horn everywhere (laughs) (laughs) that's that's a pretty niche joke Uh, I mean I'm sure some some of our followers are gonna for uh, for new listeners (laughs) Jake Muzzin wore sweatpants one day two seasons ago (laughs) Um, so you know we we just outlined all the injuries um and, and something that I kind of wanted to touch on quickly was it was like some sports books have the Leafs as the least likely team to miss the playoffs in the East uh, behind only Colorado overall across the league. And, and I just wanted to ask if that seemed crazy to either of you, because for me, it feels like this is kind of like the lowest floor for the Leafs in a, in a few seasons. Like it, it feels like this could be a, a high variant season between the injuries they're starting with the goaltending, obviously being, you know, a bit more of a question mark, not to say that they, uh, you know, are sure to get worse goaltending than they've gotten in recent seasons, but just that, you know, it's a question mark coming in. So, and obviously like, it's not like I'm going to go and throw money on this. I just thought, are the Leafs really the least likely team in the in the Eastern Conference to miss the playoffs? Oh, it could be the books trying to you know bait people into betting that uh, it, it, the Leafs the Leafs hate yeah. But you know if, I get where you're coming from. I, I think there you're onto something there with you know the the potential variance with this season and just the, you know all the kind of uncertainty. Goaltending's uncertain every year unless you've got Vasilevsky or Shesterkin or you know one of three or four other guys in the league. But I also kind of feel better about the the depth that they've assembled this time around. Um, they're still such a good team, man. Like they put up 115 points last year with terrible goaltending. You know, Campbell was unreal in the first half of the season. But when you kind of take a look back at the overall numbers for the season, the Leafs were one of the worst teams in the league in terms of, of what they got out of their goaltenders. So I'm not as concerned about that as I thought I was going to be uh, at this time when we initially acquired Murray and uh, followed that up with the Samsonov signing. But I, I still think that this team is, is a lock to the playoffs. There's just too much talent. But there there are some things that are going to start nagging at them, as you said, with these injuries and the uncertainty with the goaltending and you know things like John Tavares' continued decline, if that happens to be the case this year. Uh, you know, if not off to a great start, already missing most of camp and uh, the first couple of games of the season, it sounds like. But uh, yeah, I, I still think that this is a, a real quality roster. Yeah, I think the center depth is going to get questioned throughout the year. It's going to get that's going to get kind of lean. It, it, it's becoming a bit of a problem. Like I don't think anybody feels super great about Kerfoot being the second line center or even Yarncroke if that's the case. But I mean we're now getting to like you mentioned Tavares we're now getting to the point of the Tavares contract where when he signed it I was like he'll be over on the wing at this point um and kind of go that like Claude Giroux wrote and even Stamkos has done it too um but like I don't know how excited I am to see Tavares kind of not have any kind of support in the in the future if he does need to go to the wing like that's a a position that they need to kind of get on right away but to back to the other point of both them being the least likely team. And I don't know. I mean, that seems like a, it's just a weird bet anyways, but 
they're probably not who I would have there, but I would also not put any money at all on them missing the playoffs. I think this they've made some sneaky good acquisitions this year. I think Yaron Croke is going to be very good for them. So like, I, I don't really see how this team, they didn't, you know, if you basically just swapping out, you know, Mikheyev is probably the only real loss, like uh, out of the, like that, that moves the needle anyways. And, and bringing in Yaron Croke, I think that's, that's at worst a wash. So yeah, no, I don't, I don't see how that, that there's any risk in them missing the playoffs, but they're probably not the, the least likely team in the East, I'd probably think Tampa would be above them. Me and Keith all over cold takes exposed in May. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tampa, Carolina, maybe, maybe even Florida. I don't know. There, there'd be yeah. a few that I say yeah. are like harder locks, but I, I, I certainly, if you had to like stack rank them. Yeah. Like I'd probably Carolina and Tampa are the only two that I'd feel super comfortable putting ahead of them. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just thought it was an interesting, and like you said, it's probably got a lot more to do with uh, trying to draw people into the bet. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the lineup. You mentioned Mikheyev. I, I do think that's going to be a big loss, uh, maybe a bigger loss than than um, you know you, you you see on its face, and you you see him leave, and you know third line or whatever. But like that that line was an engine for them last season, and you know he, he's been a big part. Not to mention what he did on the penalty on the penalty kill too. He was yeah phenomenal yes one of, one of the better penalty killers absolutely yeah that, i mean that's a role that's got to be replaced so uh, it's it's you know there's certainly um you some options here i i don't know if some of these like energy guys they've brought in maybe have the uh, the offensive upside of mikhaev but um you know it kind of seems like the leafs are gonna go with you know you're, you're obviously you're you're regular top two lines that are centered and, and kind of run by the usual guys. And then, you know, maybe more of a traditional fourth line this year. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on kind of how the forward lines are, are coming together so far? I mean, I think Yaron Crow can bring what McKay have brought from an offensive standpoint. If you look at Yaron Croak's career numbers, he averages about 15 goals a year and he's played on not very good team. Like Nashville's a good team, but like they're not known for their offensive prowess and using guys in a way that's conducive to scoring a lot of goals. So, I mean, 15 goal a year average, he had 12 goals in 49 games at the Kraken last year. Like I think he's going to be able to contribute offensively in the Leafs system, especially if he does get, you know, some sniffs in that second line left wing spot. Um, it's weird. I've spent all summer trying to put together what I think the lineup's going to look like, and I have no idea. And that was before I considered Malgan kind of coming in out of nowhere and, and seeming like he might steal a spot. So, I mean, the top like five guys are clearly locks, and then that second line left wing spot could be one of Kerf- like assuming once you know once Tavares is back, but it's going to be one of Kerfoot, Yarncroak. People seem to be on the Mulligan train for that. I don't really know myself about that yet. But if it was me, I'd be slotting Yaron Croak in there at the second line left wing spot when Tavares is back because I think his game might might balance out what Tavares and Nylander might be missing and, and kind of assume that, you know, speedy or you know, four check kind of water bug role that Yaron Croak might be able to, to, to bring some of. Plus the, def- the defensive responsibility that they might be lacking too. Yeah, I think Yaron Croak is going to replace a lot of what Mikheyev brought to this lineup, but just he'll get it done in in a different, different way. way. Like Yaron Croak has good speed, uh, not quite on Mikheyev's level. I think Mikheyev is probably one of the faster guys in the league. Uh, you know, he's got that long stride. He's a tall guy too, so he covers a lot of ice. Uh, but Yaron Croak brings some speed. I think you hit on it all, Keith. He, he's got that two-way game. He can put the puck in the net. Uh, you know, he's actually a, a really quality shooter. He doesn't necessarily generate a ton of shots, but he's always you know had pretty good uh, numbers in terms of shooting percentage. And as you said, kind of a that 15 goal a year sort of hovering around that average over his career. Uh, he, he's a guy that I think. At his price point of what two point one million, I know they signed him for four years, and he's he's starting to get up there in years too. But that that's, seems like a really savvy acquisition for a guy that can be a bit of a Swiss Army knife in their lineup. Uh, they didn't really have a whole lot of those guys who can kind of slot into various roles throughout the lineup, especially with with Mikheyev going. I, I know they use Kerfoot all over the place a lot, but I I think Yaron Croak really gives them a, a, another bullet in the chamber for that sort of thing. 
And I just think that overall, they have a lot of depth options right now in terms of competing for those bottom six spots or even looking at that second line uh, wing spot alongside Nylander and Tavares. Like you said, Malgin has had a, a fantastic start to his camp. He was a star in the Swiss League for the last couple of years. He was fantastic at the World Championships last spring. And I I know I'm in the minority, but even when he was here the first time around, I, I, I thought he was much better than what he was given credit for and what the, the numbers looked like at the time. He was pointless through eight games. But I, I kind of liked what he brought to the lineup. He's got that little bit of a water bug style. He's not going to be crazy physical or anything like that, but he hunts pucks. He, he has good offensive vision. I think he's got that skill set and intelligence to kind of – you said it earlier, Keith, but Muzzin can think along with Riley. I think you could say the same thing about Mulligan playing with skilled players such as Tavares and Nylander. So I, I think as of right now, it kind of looks like he has the inside track on that spot just with the way that he's played so far and the way that and it the, seems to be some some pretty good chemistry with Nylander too yeah and it seems like Keith is sort of leaning into that and keeping that pair together throughout the preseason here so far it's still early mind you but uh, I, I still think Nick Robertson is going to have something to say about that uh, I, I think he seems to be getting a little better as camp goes along here he had that nice goal uh, against Montreal on Wednesday night and that's just the the kind of thing that he can do that not a lot of the other options have the ability to do like just that quick strike offense, that one shot goal scorer from, you know, all over the offensive zone. He's just got such a lethal release that he, he presents a a different challenge or a a different weapon for Sheldon Keefe that, you know, a lot of these other guys just don't have, they all have their strengths. Malgan is a strong transition player. He thinks the game well, chips in on offense, can pass the puck and, and finish chances. But he, he's not that same kind of dynamic scoring threat that Nick Robertson is. And I, I think if Robertson is able to kind of show that a, a little bit more throughout the rest of the preseason here, I think it's going to be hard to keep him off of this team. The, the biggest thing working against Robertson is that a lot of these other guys have to clear waivers and he doesn't. So I, I think if he doesn't end up cracking the opening night lineup, that'll be the biggest reason why. But he, he's he just presents a different level of scoring threat that this team doesn't really have in their other depth options. He checks off a lot of boxes for depth guys too, right? Because there's a couple, there's a few things we we've all kind of noticed that the Leafs are lacking a little bit and secondary scoring out of the bottom six. And then obviously his cap hit is, is important in this too. And then the fact that he can score off the rush and that's not something that we've seen very much out of our, the Leafs bottom six in the last couple of years. Yeah. I'm excited to see what the um, kind of energy guys like uh, Abe Kubel and Aston Reese. Aston Reese isn't uh, a done deal seems on a contract gone, yet, no. is he? But it seems like he'll he's be. not signed. But uh, it's his cap gymnastics at this point. Word on the street is that uh, he, he, <sighs> hey he's, ba- he's basically signed. Little handshake, little wink, wink. Yeah, yeah. It's just a matter of kind of making the the pieces fit ahead of the the season here, and I, I think it's probably a matter of. You know, however it works out with their roster construction, just being able to give him, you know, the the most that they can afford. I think other than that, it's a it's a foregone conclusion that he's going to be able. To Probably more likely that Aston Reese and Obey Kubel start with camp, especially if Engvall is not back. But I like the idea of having one of those guys play with Robertson and like uh, if, whether it's Holmberg or whether it's uh, Godet or whoever takes the other bottom six center spot w- along with camp just for that kind of sheltered scoring line and just give them nothing but offensive zone starts weak competition like that let that line just kind of feast on on other teams third pairs and stuff like that and give them one of the obey kubels or aston reese's to kind of clear some space for them yeah i think it's important that the leafs um keep you know the the pressure on keep the ice tilted when the big boys aren't on the ice and that's what like the Mikheyev line was able to do last year you know strong four check just you know don't don't give the other team room to operate while the other guys rest up and can get back out there and, and just kind of keep you know keep the pressure on right so uh, yeah the, the the speed and the physicality is something I'm looking forward to yeah and I think that leads to guys like Wayne Simmons and Kyle Clifford you know really being in tough I know Clifford's been kind of in and out of the league a bit the last couple of years, but for the first time in his career, it feels like a, a really legitimate possibility that 
Wayne Simmons is going to be on the outside looking in at the end of camp here. I think with some of the guys they brought in, like you mentioned there, uh, Nicholas Obey-Kubel and Zach Aston-Reese, that's a lot of names for two guys, but uh, <laughs> yeah. they throw they throw a lot of hits for two guys too. And they still have some juice left, you know, more so than what Simmons has at this point in his career. Uh, I think as the, the season went on last year, his lack of mobility became a more glaring issue. And I think that's just something that the the club wanted to address in terms of their their fourth line options. They just a little more, not to say tenacity, because Wayne Simmons is as as tenacious as they come, but just that kind of functional physicality and the speed to be able to get there and and pressure the opposition more consistently and be able to capitalize on those opportunities in transition, like you said, Cam. I, I think they're probably looking to go a different direction this year. And I wouldn't be surprised if throughout the course of the season, with the way that the lineup shakes out, we start seeing maybe the David Camp line listed as the fourth unit, but still kind of playing a similar role to what they did last year. Yeah, if, and if Kerfoot ends up on that second line, then, you know, having like a Yarn Croak and Robertson and, you know, an Obey Kubel or something like that as your third kind of sheltered scoring line, or even if it's Kerfoot down there with them. But I like, I just don't like the idea of, of Nick Robertson just being thrown on a fourth line getting eight minutes a night or nine minutes a night but i just i've made this argument for a few years now i just i just don't see or at least last year like the leafs bottom six being a traditional third and fourth line it's it's more of a 3a and a 3b one's defensively slanted and one's offensively slanted and i think i think that was the plan with that last year they kind of flirted with it but it never really seemed to be fully I don't know the fourth line. Like I guess it, it probably comes down to Spezza just not having a really great year. Well, I, I don't even think it's just entirely on Spezza. I think that maybe Spezza was rel- situationally too. He he didn't have a lot of help. Yeah, he he was probably relied upon to to carry the rest of that unit a little bit too much for for where he was it's at in, fair, in his yeah. career last year. So I, I think you know just overall, I, I agree, Keith. I think that, that that's the way that it's probably going to be deployed for much of the season, and I think it's probably what they had in mind for last year. But they're they're taking a different avenue to getting there this year with some maybe younger, fresher bodies who, who might still have a little bit more left in the tank. So lots still to shake out over the next week or so. Um, we'll do more of a proper season preview after things come a little more into focus. Yeah, this um, just but, about but, catching up and trying to remember how to do yeah. a podcast here. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. Who's yeah. on the team? Am I even Let's, recording right now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but something I want to do right now is take a little time to review few preseason predictions that we made around this time last year um, all right i'm gonna i'm gonna head out <laughs> <laughs> uh, i wanted to get to this over the off season but then we took uh, an impromptu break for a couple of months well we so, never um, knew where keith was at in germany italy true. california <laughs> fucking all over the place yeah, yeah. tough to keep track of italy tomorrow boys uh, um yeah, so we'll 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 see when we can nail you down for a proper season preview. Um, but uh, in the meantime, let's let's look back a little bit here at last season. We made a number of predictions last year, and I thought we could uh, old takes expose ourselves. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've got to be accountable to the listeners. That's right. So we we made uh, division winner picks for the other divisions. We picked our Atlantic playoff teams. Um, and then we made some Leafs related predictions. So we'll start off with the more generic stuff, um, starting with the central division, which is an easy place to start because it was very, very uh, simple to call. And it was correct. We all picked to the Colorado Avalanche who won the division and the Stanley Cup. Nice. We are very smart. All right. We're all one for one. <laughs> Buckle up. Uh, <laughs> Next up, the Pacific Division. The picks, I picked uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. Keith, you took Edmonton, and, and Nick also went with Vegas. Ugh, no, no flames, eh? That's right. No that flames. Closest. I prices right yeah. that. So we all whiffed on that one. Uh, the Metropolitan Division. I nailed it. Nice. Picked the Carolina Hurricanes. Well done. Happy with myself. Keith picked the New York Islanders. <laughs> Rough go. <laughs> and Nick picked the Philadelphia Flyers. Oh, that, that might be worse. <laughs> oh, you did? Seriously? <laughs> yeah. 
you did. I now, was just trying to be nice I, to a you know, friend, uh, of show, friend of the show. Well, what I will say is I, I obviously went back and, and listened to these the other day. And um, Keith, I mean, like I, above and beyond the, the stuff we're going to list here, I, I, I had a separate section here for some Keith takes that uh, <laughs> were just kind of we're just bonus takes that you just decided you'd throw in there. And now I'm going to I'm going to haul them out uh, because specifically on the Metro, you, you, you did say the Islanders, but you did make a point to say that you thought the Philadelphia had a chance to. So and then yep. Nick, Nick followed up by, by taking the Flyers. I do remember saying that and I was slightly concerned that I picked them. So you I'm glad I just said me yeah <laughs> what else that can't be the worst one <laughs> uh, another one was uh, when we were talking about the central you said uh, winnipeg uh, you didn't think that they were were going to be the the winners of the division but definitely a playoff team yeah and uh the you other probably most egreg- <laughs> <laughs> the, and, and the other probably most egregious one at one point uh while we were talking about a jack campbell uh, starts line that we'll get to here in a little bit you, you said uh Marazic's good <laughs> just that just that one sentence yeah, <laughs> um, yeah well to, in defense for keith uh you know he wasn't the only one that was duped there that's that's true <laughs> including some people who have management <laughs> positions with the toronto maple leafs hockey club <laughs> yeah. um the atlantic division so we picked our playoff teams and, and we did order them um the the, the correct order was the the florida panthers at number one, Leafs at number two, Tampa Bay at three, and the Boston Bruins at number four. Nick and Robertson, the, oh my God. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, for, for I was going listening. to impose a punishment if you did any play-by-play for the, <laughs> the preseason game, unless it was someone being abducted by aliens in the middle of the game or something like that. But I didn't. I didn't establish it beforehand, so I, I feel like I gotta let you off with it. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I couldn't even control myself there with that. Wow. I'm also watching. It's nice school. <laughs> but I'm on a. I'm on a 30 second delay because Sportsnet now is the worst app in the history of. But continue, Cam. Sorry. I'll. Uh, I'll. I'll have to check it out. Um, so Atlantic teams, uh, the order, Florida, Toronto, Tampa Bay, Boston. We, we picked our playoff teams and we nailed them. And, you know, in hindsight, it was, it was a pretty easy pick. Uh, Boston finished 32 points clear of Buffalo, <laughs> who were in fifth. So we, we, we all picked those four, um, but our orders differed a little bit. Nick, you went Leafs, Tampa, Florida, Boston. Keith, you went Tampa, Leafs, Florida, Boston, and I went Leafs, Florida, Tampa, Boston. So none of us quite nailed it, but uh, not pretty not, damn close. Not too, yeah, not too bad, all, all told, for the Atlantic. Uh, then we did some over-unders. Uh, the Leafs' total points for the season set the line at 108.5. Um, Nick and I took the over. Keith took the under. Final tally, 115. Next up, Austin Matthews. Goals for the season. I'm just going to pat myself on the back here for some of these lines. I, I really nailed these, as you'll, you'll, you'll learn. Uh, yeah, because you're a gambleaholic. <laughs> I set the line for Matthews' goals at 59 and a half. He finished with 60 in 73 games. Uh, you both took the under. I took the over. Ooh. Next was Mitch Marner, point total. I set the over-under at 99.5. We all took the over, and we were all incorrect. Yeah, but he blows that out of the water without missing time in the middle of the season. He, he, he exactly, was yeah. lights out. Like He was you know, up there. With the pace that he was on after coming back from the injury, he was like Art Ross contention over a, a full season, even with Connor McDavid in the league. That was, He was just on it entirely different level yeah i finished with uh, 97 in 72 and jack campbell starts set the line at 49.5 uh you two took the over i took the under he finished with 47 starts good lines man great lines very very well done now One that I just kind of decided to be cute with and throw in at the end. I don't know if you guys recall this. Um, Playoff rounds one. 
<laughs> I recall what I, I set I said. the line at 0. 0.5 and I didn't even give you the option. We all agreed it would be over. So I set the line at 1.5 and once again, we all took the over. Like the stupid, dumb idiots that we are. Why? Why do we do What is wrong with us? How could... Uh, it's We're not back here like to do it all again. We're going to do it next week again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to do all these same things again, and we're all going to pick I'm it. Gonna, we're going to set it at 2.5, and we're all going to pick the over. I'll tell you right now. I'm going to say the same damn thing I said last year because it's the only way that I can you know, keep coming back is the, this unfounded belief that the Leafs are going to win the whole damn thing. And I'm going <laughs> to tell you right now, spoiler alert, I'm going to say the same damn thing when we do our predictions next week. <laughs> it's the only thing that keeps us going. On the back um, of Matt Murray. <laughs> uh, and then finally, bold predictions. Um, these are these are tough. Uh, mine, the Leafs make the Stanley Cup final. <laughs> Keith, Andre Kasha stays healthy. And tallies fifty-five points in <laughs> seventy games. Bah! I love that. Stay. I love that. Stays healthy for him was still missing twelve games. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Twenty-seven points in fifty games. For it's a Kasha. forty-five point pace. It's it's, it's not good. Uh, and Nick, uh, you were the closest here. I didn't William go that Nylander bold, scores forty. Bah! <laughs> Thirty-four in eighty-one games. But all told, um, a little better than than we fared, I think. Um, so we'll come back stronger next week, I guess, and uh, <laughs> hopefully we'll we'll hit a few more of these bold predictions. Um, At least fourth line scoring goals at will on the Senators' top line, so that's fun. Oh yeah, here we go. All right, punishment for Keith oh, too. Obey Obey Kubel from Camp and Aston Reese. Yeah, and there's another one coming, Keith. Oh, nice. Sportsnet now. (laughs) Sportsnet not quite right now. (laughs) I think that this is as good a place as any to end it. At least our Leafs chat. Uh, I I wanted to to quickly pick your brains here because uh, some other stuff going on in sports. Uh, Mm -hmm. The Blue Jays have clinched a playoff spot. Woohoo! How how you feeling? Going in, um, I, who, who are they most likely to, to draw here in the first round? It's going to be it's going to be Tampa. I yeah, I think it's pretty close, like odds wise, like Tampa, Tampa and Seattle. Like it's a pick them at this point, but it's got to get home field, man. I like I don't I didn't realize until last week or the week before or something that all it's the three whole series games yeah. are at home. Like that's fucking huge. Like you can't take your foot off the gas right now. This means like clinching, cool, but like. That's not uh, that's that can't be the end goal here. They got they have to stay. But I I saw some of the uh, like it's like they got to go. They got to go under five hundred the rest of the way, and the other two teams have to like maybe only lose one or two games or something like that for it to happen. So it's it's pretty likely, but um, yeah, that's huge, man. Having all three games at home. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, it'll I, be. I, uh, I thought I had something to say, but I, I didn't. <laughs> just got, nothing, nothing came out. Well, let, let's you turn guys the, Did you guys hear the Buck Martinez rant? I, I did. I, I, I did hear. That. I, I went back after you, I saw your tweet, which was great. <laughs> um, I went back and I, I looked for the rant in question. And you know what? Like, good on him because I don't think I don't disagree is. with anything that he said really I mean some of the stuff when he started talking about other teams he was like the Cleveland Guardians play right every eh, I'm sure they don't G- run give me the gist give me the gist I have no oh, idea what just, you guys are talking about they did uh, Buck Martinez went on like Dan Schulman was trying to stop him and he just <laughs> every pitch like they'd be like hey and slider outside and Buck would launch right back into it yeah. and it was just about, it was like, like I still don't know what it is fundamentals like they're they're hot dog and oh, shit they're not running out gotcha. ground balls they're they're making you know dumb errors and if you want to be a champ Champion, you got to play like a champion, and and he just didn't drop it for like three at bats. It, it was it was it's good. You should find it. It's definitely like somebody must have clipped it somewhere. I'll try to find it for you. But you know what? I'll like he, he wasn't wrong because even John Schneider a- after the game, you know, he even said right to the media that he was going to have a talk with Vlad about it and you know address the fact that you've got to be running hard all the time. You you can't be taking anything for granted. Even little things like Bo coming off the base in that game, yeah. where you know it's it's not something that's going to happen all the time. It's a, it's a fluke thing, but you you've got to be dialed in at all times and really limit those things, especially when playoff baseball rolls around. Man, like you can't 
it when it gets to this time of the year you can't be like costing yourself outs or you know giving the opposing yeah. team extra outs to work with because all these teams are so good at this stage of the year that they're, they're going to capitalize on that stuff the other stuff that he said too about like he's like i shouldn't be finding it I shouldn't have to be like calling out and congratulating when a guy hustles down the line. He's like, it should just be the North. Like, cause they had done that earlier. Chapman made a play close or something, or he might've beat out like an infield single. And he was like, that should just be the norm. Like you shouldn't, especially this time of year. Yeah. hundred percent. Like it's all about championship mentality. And I I think there's probably, you know, a a bit of parallel there with the, the the team we were just talking about and and just, you know, you've got to, you got to compete at all times and you, you can't take your foot off the gas at any point when it gets to this time of the season. And uh, I think the Blue Jays are kind of similar to the Leafs in the sense that they've got so much high-end talent. If they can put it all together and really play their best baseball for you know a, a prolonged stretch of time, I, I think they're as dangerous as just about any team in the league. Keith, how many completions for Justin Fields on Sunday against the New York Giants? <laughs> i don't know man like 11 <laughs> that would be a season high can yeah. we go back to some more old podcasts again and get some uh, prior justin fields nope <laughs> <laughs> i don't even no. like, I, you, i'm watching him man like it's it's like I, you can't blame it on the old line anymore i mean he doesn't have great wide receivers but like there's guys open and he's just not pulling the trigger and that's what's frustrating like even that like 30 yard scramble that he had that was like a third and long that he converted on there was like at least three options like the corner like somebody burned somebody on a corner route the guy even the guy in the flat probably could have caught and ran it like it was it you don't have to use your legs every time kind of thing but i don't know man he's he's got to at least crack 100 yards passing that would be a good start but <laughs> also the the run game's so good that i you know I don't. I don't fault them for for you know running the ball as much as they are, but they they have to be the worst two and one team in the history of the NFL. <laughs> yeah, that that's certainly um, on the on the table. I would say it's, <laughs> it's, it's been ugly, ugly, and it, I mean, obviously they played in a bowl of soup in in game one, but uh, yeah, that, means nothing, that, really. that might not have even been the most ugly game they've played. That's that's really saying something. <laughs> Um, yeah, the, the hopes aren't high, but you know what? I, I have, I have some, my, my fields optimism has waned, but my overall bears optimism is better than it was. I think in the off season, cause I thought the off yeah, season was terrible. And, yeah. and, and I think that, um, they, they have a little bit of the dignified tank thing going on that the Leafs did when they drafted Matthews, you know, like they're playing hard. They just really suck. They do, but I, I still think with their defense and run game, and if Fields can just not make mistakes, I think they could win seven or eight games, which kind of sucks because that's going to take them out of getting like a top five pick or whatever. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. They could just be toiling away and being a middle-of-the-road team and not getting a, an impact player, which is probably worse than just outright losing 16 games this year. I wouldn't close the book on that top five pick just yet, but. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. How about your team there, bud? The Bills. How are you feeling about that? Just uh, a giant ambulance. I actually just got off the phone with Brandon Bean. They're uh, flying me in for a tryout at safety. (laughs) 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 Fuck, man. We were talking about the injuries to the Leafs earlier on in the show and just like... The way that the injuries have mounted up for the Bills in the early part of the season here, it's uh, it, it's definitely uh, given some of those sinking feelings, you know, especially coming into a season where everyone in their cat is calling them the Super Bowl favorite. And, I mean, you look at what they're able to do and the roster that they have on paper, and, I mean, I don't think there's a good argument against it. They're, they're a fantastic football team, and, and they've got arguably the best quarterback in the league. But when you start losing key pieces, uh, guys like Micah Hyde, I know he might not be a household name or anything like that, but he is such an important piece to what the Buffalo Bills do and the success that their defense has been able to have over the last couple of years. Uh, Obviously, a scary injury for a guy who's dealt with neck stuff in the past. So obviously just hoping that he's, you know, it it doesn't affect his quality of life or whatever. But uh, it's definitely a huge loss to the Bills and they're missing other big names, you know, like Ed Oliver. Um, it's, it's just it's, the list goes on and on. There's so many names that uh, on the injury report. I think there was 16 or 17 names uh, on the injury report earlier today, heading into their game on Sunday. So it, it's uh, it's definitely 
things are getting thin uh, for Buffalo, but it's just with Josh Allen and Stephon yeah. Diggs and stuff like that, it's they've got a chance against anyone on any given Sunday or Monday or Thursday, whatever it might happen to be. But uh, I'm still feeling really good about the Bills, especially if they can, you know, get through this early part of the season and start getting some bodies back and be able to kind of withstand the injury bugs the the rest of the season. I, I still think they've, they're, you know, the, the clear favorite to win it all. I, I heard Mitch Mariner's got a real interest in playing defensive back. <laughs> <laughs> It's not that it's not that different of a thought process than I have with the Leafs right now, where it's like injuries are going to pile up. I'd rather them pile up early than yeah. down the stretch, right? Yeah, a hundred percent, hundred percent. All right, well, uh, good to get back to it, gentlemen. It's uh, been a while. You feeling like you got the the rust off or what? Yeah, it was definitely great. Just to you know, like we haven't necessarily even chatted a whole bunch as a group you know outside of messaging in the in the group chat so just to get back on and have a yarn with you fellas again it's a lot of fun and uh every time that this happens i always like wonder why we let it go so long when we have these these little hiatuses because uh it's it's just it's fun to get back on here and, and chat about hockey and all kinds of other things with you guys so yeah excited for uh another season and trying to convince myself that this will be the year as, as we always do but yeah looking forward to it agreed i mean it's it's reasonable to uh to take some time off in the off season i think we, we maybe let it go a little bit too long so we'll just have to uh make sure that uh, we start pumping out consistent content on lamenting the leaves all, all all season i think another factor was it, we were kind of always waiting for this other shoe to drop through the course of the off season and, and the, the, yeah. the days and weeks just like, really seemed like to get away was coming yeah well you just look at yeah. the, the salary cap picture and guys like you know justin hall and alex kerfoot being rumored all off season to be on the move and then you've got the whole rasmus sandine contract situation i, I know personally i always felt like i was waiting for for that next shoe to drop and it, it just you know the the off season just kind of got away from us there and here we are in the in the middle of the preseason with the countdown on to opening night oh baby i just saw the nick robertson goal <laughs> <laughs> there he is <laughs> all right punishment for me too we'll chat next week boys all right see you guys Peace, fellas. Peace.